Hey, if you're new, like Colleen said, please fill out one of our connection cards in the seat back in front of you. Drop it in the in the basket at the end. Uh, my only other announcement is this. After this service, after this service there in the back room over there, we're having what we call Discipleship Pathway. And this is open to anyone. And this is your opportunity to get to know a little more about restoration and what you can do to have a positive impact on the kingdom. This week is step three, discover. And discover is all about discovering your spiritual gifts. Your spiritual gift, that's kind of a big highfalutin term, but what it just means is that these are the unique things God has placed in you, yes, all of you, to go and have a good impact in the world around you. So if that's interesting to you, it's great, great content, great people. Uh, again, right after this service, join us in that back room. With no further ado, let's pray. God, I thank you that you're good. God, I, I don't know, I guess I thank you that you're thoughtful towards each of us. You think of each of us. And you're kind in how you deal with us. So I thank you for your love, Jesus. You're good to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the Old Testament, uh, in the nation of Israel, there were these guys called prophets. And prophets were people who heard from God and communicated what God's heart was. Along with that is a lot of them would do amazing miracles. And one of my favorite guys in the Old Testament, one of my favorite prophets was Elisha. And Elisha came after his predecessor, Elijah. Elisha comes on the scene, and God does amazing miracles through Elisha. One of his first ones is he takes Elijah's cloak, and he puts it in the Jordan River. The Jordan River parts so him and his buddies can walk through on dry land. I don't have any outerwear that can do that. Apparently, God was willing to do some miraculous thing through Elisha using this cloak. Another amazing miracle that he did was he wandered upon this uh, woman who had a son. She was a widow. They had no money. And he said, what do you have? She said, all we have is this jar of oil. He goes, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to your neighbors and get empty jars. So she goes and gets a bunch of empty jars. Take your jar of oil and dump it in the first jar. And she goes, okay, dumps all of it in, sets it down. He goes, I want you to take that original jar of oil and dump it in the second one. She goes, that's impossible. It's empty. Okay, it's full again. So she takes it and dumps that in the second jar, sets it down. Now it's empty. Goes, now fill the third one. You don't understand. It's empty. Okay, it's full again. So she takes it and does it and does this over and over and over again. Every time miraculously that jar gets refilled until all of these jars are filled with oil. And he says, take it, sell it, use it to pay your debts and you and your son to live off of. So Elisha parts the Jordan River, provides for this woman. At another point, he wanders along and he meets this woman, this very old woman, this very old man who have no children. They're very hospitable, but they have no children. And he says, uh, you know what? This time next year, you're going to have a son. And lo and behold, he comes back through and old lady, old man, they have a son. It's, they're like, whoa, this is amazing. Cool miracle. Well, that son grows up out in the field with his dad one day and he goes, dad, my head hurts and boom, falls over dead. It's like, what? So they call Elijah and they're like, hey, this kid you got us was defective. So they go and show up and Elijah's looking at this dead boy and it's weird. He's, this is what the Bible says he does. He lays down on top of the dead boy's body, mouth to mouth, hand to hand, eyes to eyes, gets up, nothing, walks back and forth in the room, lays back down, eye to eye, hand to hand, eyes, face to face, body to body, gets back up and then, and the little boy sneezes seven times, gets up, totally healed. Parts the Jordan River, provides for this widow, speaks a fertilization miracle over this old couple. They have this boy, brings him back to life. He works with this one Syrian general who has leprosy, heals him, blinds an entire army that's on the hunt for Israel. It's going to go destroy Israel. Massive, big, giant miracles. But my favorite miracle of all is this one. 
Elisha's got his group of running buddies, these other prophets, and they all kind of meet together. And one of them says, hey, you know what? We meet together. Let's build us a little building to meet in, like an elk's lodge or something. And so they go, okay, great. So they go by the Jordan River where all these trees are, and they're all cutting down these trees. And one guy has his axe, and he's cutting a tree down, cutting a tree. Thunk. The axe head flies off the axe, goes right in the Jordan River, Boop. all the way to the bottom. It's gone. And this poor guy, he goes to Elisha, my to the bottom of the river. And, and then I love this little detail. It goes, it was borrowed. I borrowed. Now I owe a guy. I can't afford on the salary. You, you know, I can't. So Elijah goes, okay, calm down. He cuts off a stick, takes the stick, sticks it in the river. And you know what happens? I'm adding sound effects here. The axe head, the metal axe head floats on top of the river. And Elijah goes, well, grab it. So he grabs it, puts it back on, goes back to work. What a crazy little thing in the Bible. We've got Elisha who is blinding armies, parting rivers, providing sons for kids who have no children, bringing people back from the dead, and providing an axe head for a guy. Big giant miracles and something pretty small and insignificant but something that was, in fact, quite significant for that guy who had lost that axe head that day. I think we can draw out of the breadth of these miracles something about God. We know God is a great, big, giant, powerful God, right? He's huge. But he also works in the small as well. The God who spoke, it says in Genesis 1, he spoke creation into existence. He spoke the earth, the sun, the stars, the planets, the moon, everything into existence. He also made the small. He didn't just make trees. That meant he had to go through and make every little leaf and every vein in that leaf. He didn't just make the fish of the sea. He made the scales on that fish. He didn't just make people and, and plants. He made cells and the mitoplasmicals that are, I wasn't good at biology, that are inside there. He made all of those things. God works big, but he also works in the detail work. He gets very, very specific. God goes big and small. God says to Noah, build a giant ark. And what does he say to David to defeat a giant? Just get a little stone. And that little stone is going to have a profound impact. God's economy deals in the big, but God's economy also deals in the small. Creation, the cross, redemption, and the small stone of David. And I believe that we all could probably trace in our lives, if we're Jesus followers, the big moments that God has shown grace, kindness, and love to us. For me, when I was five years old, I was in a Sunday night church service, listening to a preacher guy, and I just felt this big whoom from God, hey, I want you to follow me. And that changed the trajectory of my life. When I was about 20, after a long time of following Jesus, I, had, I was fed up. I couldn't figure out how to follow him. I was like, I'm trying to be a good boy. I'm trying not to sin. I'm having, I can't do all this. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. And I felt like God very clearly one day clapped his hands and goes, now you get it. 
All of your efforts are in vain. Just come to me for the cross. I have grace for you. That's why I died for you. That changed my life. And I've had moments since then, big, giant revival, coming back to God moments. God has shown me big overtures of love. And I believe that's probably happened for you as well. But I can also say that God has shown me love and kindness in small ways as well, axe head moments that have had an impact on my life. I've gotten in the car sometimes, just depleted, out of faith, whatever. I don't sense God's love. Turn on the radio, and there's some cheese ball song that somehow means something to God and I, and I'm not telling you what it is, but it's God going, I love you. And in that moment, that small, silly little thing, I go, oh, oh. I went through a season of dreadful fear, stuff going on in my life. And I remember these little tiny moments where God would go, here's some peace. Here's a little bit of peace. Oh. You ever read scripture and you get to some verse? It, it looks like an insignificant verse. And yet somehow God uses it to put his finger on your heart and go, I care for you and I love you. I got a long, big story that I'm not going to tell, but it's a corker. It's all about, uh, I was at a point in my life where I thought I knew I was going to marry my wife, but I wasn't sure. I was going out on faith, and I was asking God for some sort of sign, a green light, and you know what happened? You know what he did? He lit up a filament, a little tiny filament, probably about that big. Electricity went through nothing, tiny, insignificant filament, lit it up, which lit the light bulb which was behind this glass, this green-tinted glass, out on a lighthouse 50 yards offshore from where I'm sitting, right at the moment when I'm asking God for a green light. Boom. Oh, it's a killer story. <laughs> this filament that God lit up, nothing, nothing. You know what it did? It put me on the trajectory to marry my wife and have the children we have today. No filament, no Kristen, no us. Something small had a profound impact on my life. And I bet it's the same with y'all. I bet you could say, God has done big love things in my life, but boy, I'll tell you where I've really found some amazing moments in my life is those small things. We're in the middle of a series called Love Does, and it's, we got this title from a book by a guy named Bob Goff, and this is a great, fun book. Bob is just writing about the things that he does in life to show other people God's love, and, and some of them are nutty and crazy and fun. He's a Jesus follower, and he believes firmly. It's not about what I think about love. It's what I do with love. Love doesn't think. Love does. But I want to warn you about the book. If you've read it or in the middle of reading it, it can be a little intimidating, because to be honest, Bob is a millionaire. He's a, he's a construction lawyer. He's made all this money. And so he does things like, you know what I decided to do? Uh, out on this, uh, this uh, in the sound, off the coast of Canada, we built this giant house. You know what we do at that house? My kids write letters to world leaders, and the world leaders come for dinner, and we feed them churros and play Parcheesi and solve the world's problems through arm wrestling, and it's a great time. And so you're like, oh, what a cool story. But then you, and then you come back and you go, you know, huh, this, uh, you know, I don't have a house on the sound in Canada, and I don't have the prime minister of India's email address. I can't do, th and so you read the big things and go, 
Ah, oh, that's kind of fun. That's fun for him. <laughs> but for me, the stories that are the most impactful in there are the little ones. The little things that Bob has done to show love to people. That's what I think I'm meant to take away from it and to do something with it. Big things are important, but we can never overlook the small. I come back to this verse over and over again because I think it's a wonderful fulcrum point. I think everybody in this room would agree you want to be more loving and kind. I don't think anybody's sitting here going, you know, I really want to be a bigger jerk and kind of more grumpy. Can you help me with that? I can't help you with that, Uh, although I'm pretty good at it myself. Uh, I can't help you with that. We all want to be loving and kind, but sometimes we, we don't quite know how to do that. Whether it's our spouse or our kids or our coworkers or strangers, we know God wants us to show love and kindness. We're not sure how. When the book of Ephesians is in the New Testament, Paul is writing to Jesus' followers in Ephesus, the Ephesians. And for the first, it's a six-chapter book. For the first five chapters, all he's really doing is building a case to convince the Ephesians how much God loves them as a group and as individuals. Be rooted and established in God's love to know how long and wide and high and deep is the love of Christ for you. And then we get to Ephesians 5.1. He says this, In light of all of this, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. What Paul's saying is this, want to know how to love someone? Yeah. Consider how God loves you and love others that way. Maybe easier said than done, but it's such a beautifully simple idea. If we just sit and consider, how has God shown kindness and love to me? Whew, that's going to give me ideas about how to do that for other people. Does God show us big, giant overtures of love? Yes. Well, we should show others big, giant overtures of love. But that's a different talk for a different day. Let's put that behind us for now. And let's focus on, has God shown you love in small ways that had a profound impact on you? How about we start to deal in that economy as well, and we show love to others in small ways that will have a profound impact on them? We cannot reject the small. I want to go to a passage from Zechariah. I know most of you have the book of Zechariah memorized, but just as a refresher for you, uh, Zechariah is one of the minor prophets, which is such a diminutive term. But uh, Zechariah is one of the Jesus follow- or one of the God followers, God speakers in the Old Testament. And in the nation of Israel at the time of Zechariah, the nation of Israel has fallen on hard times. And they had this temple where they could all come together and celebrate God and worship God, but that thing has been destroyed. And the nation of Israel is like, once, if we could only have the temple back, oh, how great things would be. And God wants that for them. And so he's set aside this guy named Zerubbabel, which is a good baby name. Zerubbabel comes along. He says, I'm going to use Zerubbabel to rebuild the temple. It's going to be glorious. Great. So in Zechariah 4, this is where we grab things. Zechariah says, the word of the Lord came to me. That just means God communicated his thoughts to me, and I communicated. God's communicated his thoughts to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands are going to complete it. Then you're going to know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who dares despise the day of small things, since the seven eyes of the Lord, and that just is poetic for he sees everything, that reigns throughout the earth, will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. Let me, let me restate it. He's saying... 
This temple is going to be rebuilt. And Zerubbabel has laid the foundation. Yay! And one day, he's going to bring the capstone that finishes it off. Yay! Those are celebrations. Oh, we are so excited. But he says, but hey, don't overlook this. Who among you would despise the day of small things? And the small things are the things between the foundation and the capstone. Put another way, he's looking at the people and going, okay, are you excited about the foundation? Yeah! Are you excited about the eventual capstone? Yeah! Here's a brick. Lay it down. Oh, oh, n- no. But if you'll lay a brick and 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 you'll lay a brick, a brick, a brick, a brick, a brick, a brick, brick, eventually we will have what we need to lay the capstone. When he says, who despises the day of small things, what he's saying is, you can't say, I want something big, but not put the small in to make that happen. You may not believe me. We may be the only family in America has this. We have this verse in our kitchen, who despises the day of small things. It's weird, right? Sure. But it's us. It's the Davenports. Because we know that every day the little decisions we make add up to something big. We can't forsake the small because we want something big. When my sister was in college, she was walking through a grocery store and she dropped a penny and she just didn't pick it up. And this old man picked it up and followed after her and handed it to her and goes, a hundred of these make a dollar. (laughs) It's a good lesson right there. The Scottish say many a mickle makes a muckle. (laughs) We can't want muckles and not invest the mickles. We can't want dollars and not hold on to the pennies. We can't expect something big to happen in our lives and not do the small things to get there. We know that big love shown to us has an impact on our lives, but we also know that the small things that sometimes people have done for us have had an impact on our lives. I'll give you a few from my life. My growing up, wonderful family, mom, dad, sister, me, just great growing up. And we lived in Kansas City for a little while. My father had a job where he'd get free tickets to the Kansas City Royals baseball game. And so this is something my dad and I would get to do together. And so he and I would go to the game, and we'd be coming home at night. It'd be like 9.30 on a weeknight. And I'm like, oh, I'm so crazy. It's so late. And I'm just having a blast. I'm 10 years old. And I remember every time we would drive home from that game, my father would just kind of turn to me on the drive home. And in a tone I didn't normally hear, he'd just go, I love you, son. I love you, son. Four words, just four simple words. I love you, son. But those words had a profound impact on my life. And they allowed God to show through my father the assurance that I needed to know that I was loved. When I was in high school, I was the shyest kid you've ever met, introverted, socially awkward. I've said this before, I was voted least likely to be remembered. Um, I was just a wallflower. I didn't like to be around. Uh, I wanted to be around people, but I just I didn't want to be around people, so I, I hid. My sister, though, was Little Miss Social Fun Times, and uh, she was involved in the youth group, the big youth group at our church, and she was buddies with everybody. And one of, her be- one of her friends was this kid named Jeff Ross. Well, Jeff Ross was the head of the youth group. He had more friends than God. He was great. Just a fun, warm guy. And I remember one day the phone rings at the house. My mom answers and, oh, hey, Jeff Ross, how are you? And I'm thinking, oh, of course, Jeff's calling to talk to my sister and, and oh, mom's talking. And then she put, hey, Jeff, he wants to talk to you. Uh, huh? So I take 
Huh, hello, hello. <laughs> hey, Jeff, it's Jeff Ross. That's kind of how Jeff Ross always talked about. It's Jeff Ross. <laughs> Uh, uh, hey, hey, uh, hey, me and a bunch of people are going to go do something crazy, fun. It's going to be great. I want to know if you want to go. This guy who had everything is calling little old me because something about him wanted to be kind to me. And this is 30 years later, and I still remember that phone call. Now, of course, I said no, <laughs> but that had an impact on me. Small, little thing, huge impact. My senior year of high school, I had an English teacher I loved. She was so fun and funny. And again, I was super introverted, but I loved writing. Remember, I wrote something one time, and afterwards she pulled me aside and she said, do you know you're creative? And that stuck with me. And honestly, it changed the trajectory of what I chose to do for my career. Because of one thing, one kooky woman and a t-shirt with puffy paint on it said to me that one day. My mom would do little things for me growing up that were huge. After college, uh, I moved to Los Angeles, which I encourage no one to ever do. And I lived there for eight miserable years. And almost every week, my sweet sister who lived in Houston would get a card from Walgreens, $1.99 card, and just write something to me. Hey, brother, love you, thinking about you, and I'm praying for you. And she would send it. $1.99 card means nothing. It meant everything to me. It had an impact on me. My wife will do small little big things for me, but then small little things. We'll be in a social situation. It means a lot to me. She's, again, she's super social, and when we're in a so, and she just holds my hand, it means something to me. It's a small thing, but it means something to me. I got two little girls, May May's six, and she'll write me little notes. Daddy, I love you. Da, da, da. Little no, but it impacts me. Bomber, my four-year-old, she was here for the service last night, and I, I finished, and I went back and sat by her, and she goes, you did a really good job, Daddy. <laughs> what does she know? <laughs> She's four. Her little statement meant something to me. Couldn't we all say we have these in our lives where someone, for some reason, went out of their way? I love that phrase. They went out of their way to compliment us, encourage us, sit with us, be kind to us, and it had some impact on our lives. Is, show of hands. Everybody got some of these? Okay, we'll start with you. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> We have these. We've received this from others. And if we know we've received it from God and we know we've received it from others, isn't it good for us to pass that along? We have to believe that small things have a big impact. So yesterday was a big day in my house because it was moon day. If you don't know this, it was the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11 mission, man landing on the moon. And I've, I forced my family to be nerds about moon stuff. And we, have, we had a big day yesterday, watched the Apollo 11 documentary. We made homemade moon pies. It was, we had a big blast. And uh, Kennedy, President Kennedy was the one who originally said, this, we're going to the moon. He gives this big speech at Rice. He goes, uh... Uh, we choose to go to the moon and do the other things, not because they are easy, because they are hard. <laughs> it gives big speech, rousing speech. And there's a story about him that may be apocryphal, who knows, but it's still a good story. He was going around the space center to check things out as it was, you know, they're going through the missions leading up to going to the moon. And he meets a bunch of the astronauts. 
these big, giant, important men, and he meets the flight controllers and uh, mission control, all these people, you know, the heavy-duty nerds who are going to put somebody on the moon. I mean, meeting these big people and just giving approval, all this stuff. And then he's walking along, he turns a corner, and there is a janitor holding a mop. And Kennedy, who apparently never met a stranger, says something like, uh, uh, and Sarah, what, what do you do here? And this man holding the mop, you know what he says? Mr. President, I'm helping put a man on the moon. No, he's mopping the floor. But he's mopping the floor to remove impediments so the people can come in and they can do the work, so they can do the work, so they can do the work, so Neil Armstrong can take one small step for man and one giant leap for mankind. It reminds me of here at Restoration, if you're someone who's a greeter or you're setting out muffins or maybe teaching kids, you're helping accomplish something big. We have to believe that the small things we do can have a profound impact on the world around us. Back in the old days, maybe our grandparents' age, they had something uh, at school. This was back when school was actually really good. Uh, they had something called the McGuffey Reader. And sorry, teachers. And the McGuffey Reader was uh, this book that had all of these poems and stories in it. And it's how kids would, they would copy them to learn handwriting, but also learn big moral lessons. And one of them in there is a poem, and it goes like this. For want of a nail, meaning when a nail was missing, for want of a nail, the shoe was lost. They're referring to a, shoe, a horseshoe. So imagine a horseshoe on the bottom of a horse hoof, and a nail has come out. For want of a nail, the shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, the horse was lost. For want of the horse, the rider was lost. For want of the rider, the battle was lost. For want of the battle, the kingdom was lost, all from the want of a nail. When something small is missing, it can have a bad, profound impact. But when something good comes into play that's small, it can have a huge, profound impact on the people around us. We have to believe that. So what do you do? How do you love small? Well, number one, I want to say this. You have to just realize small counts. It counts. It matters. And that's what I'm trying to build you up to is that small things matter to people. And I want to say this, I felt like God was wanting me to say this, and this is sort of for free, everything else you're going to pay for, but this is for free, uh, is that it, God sees you when you do the small. So if you're someone out there and you're in a marriage that is really, really hard, or you're a parent and it's really, really hard, or, or something like that, and you're doing small, kind things, even though they're being rejected, I just want you to know that God sees you, and God sees all of those things, and he hasn't missed a single one. And they're storing up for you a treasure in heaven. He sees them. He counts them. They're credited to your account. So anyway, that's for free. Second, actually do something. It's not love thinks, it's love does. Nolan Bushnell was a guy, he was one of the guys who invented the Atari 2600. If you don't know what that is, it's like an Xbox, but better. And uh, <laughs> he said this, everyone who takes a shower has an idea. Don't you get your best ideas in the shower? I don't know why that is, but it happens to me. Everyone who has ever taken a shower has had an idea. It's the person who gets out of the shower, dries off, puts on clothes, and does something about it who makes a difference. It's not enough to have somebody, you know, it'd be great if I showed love to someone and I did this little kind thing. Oh, maybe if I make cookies. Oh, these are great ideas. 
Who cares? Do. You have to do. Recognize the small has impact and actually do it. And third, I would add, make a plan. Don't just go, oh, those would be good, but actually put a plan in place to do them. My wife sits down with our daughters at the beginning of every week and goes, who are we going to show kindness to this week? And they plan it out. Well, we're going to make cookies for this, or we're going to go talk to, we're going to go do, they plan it out. Don't think you'll hear this talk and go, that sounds great, and I'm going to do it. You'll walk down those stairs, it will all go away. (laughs) Make a plan to do something. So what can you do? Encourage someone compliment them, go out of your way to celebrate something with them, maybe just be with them, someone who might be grieving, just sit with them, check in with somebody, hey, I remember you were doing that, can I just want to check in and see how you're doing? I don't know what it is. Be creative, don't be creative, I don't care, just go and realize you can have an impact by maybe doing something small. Know this too, it may be messy, and it probably will be. This week, I was in Las Vegas all week for work, which was, yay. Uh, and I, I'm in the hotel, I'm walking through the lobby, and there's a guy sitting by himself. Ooh, I'm walking along, doo, doo, doo. and I felt like God tell me, go walk up to that man and bless him. I'm sorry? <laughs> just, go, just go speak a blessing over him. Uh, okay, all right. Um, here we go. So I walk up to this guy. And uh, I just look at him, and I stick my hand out, and, and I, can I shake your hand? And this guy, he literally looks at me and goes, <laughs> I shake his hand, and I go, blessings on you, uh, blessings, blessings. And he goes, okay. <laughs> and then I'm gone. <laughs> I just go. And I'm walking along going, okay, God, that was for you, buddy. <laughs> I don't have a clue what went down with that guy, but I'm telling you, it was as awkward sauce as it gets. (laughs) But I think that's what I was supposed to do for that guy, and I hope maybe it communicated something to him from God. We have to be okay with the mess. And it can be fun, by the way. You know what I think about when I think about this stuff is I think of Bill Murray. (laughs) Bill Murray, if you don't know anything about Bill Murray outside of his movies... There's all these urban legends about how Bill Murray, what he does outside of uh, Hollywood world, and they're pretty funny, and apparently they're all, real tr- they're all true. So one of the most common ones is, is someone will be sitting in a restaurant eating, and Bill Murray will come up to this stranger, take one of their French fries, and the person looks up, eat one of the French fries, look them in the eyes, and goes, no one will ever believe you, and then walks away. <laughs> but my favorite one... He's in a taxi in Oakland, and he's headed to the airport. It's nighttime, and he's making chit-chat with the taxi driver. And he's asked the taxi driver, oh, how do you like driving a taxi? And the guy goes, oh, well, it's all right. But I really, I, my goal, I want to be a saxophone player. He goes, oh, well, what's stopping you? He goes, I'm in the taxi 14 hours a day. I have zero time to practice. And Bill goes, well, where's your saxophone? He goes, well, it's in the trunk. And Bill goes, you know, I can drive a car. So they pull over, get the saxophone out of the trunk, Swap seats. Bill Murray drives the taxi while this guy practices the saxophone in the back seat. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? That's great. Bill Murray, look, who's probably not a Jesus follower, but he's looking at someone thinking, what does this person need? Can I give him a little, I mean, a little something, a 20-minute a 20, 20 cab ride, yet somehow may have had some impact on this guy's life. We get to be those kinds of people, doing fun, cool, creative, kind things. 
Something else you can do, you got one of these when you walked in. It's a list of school supplies. And what we are doing, and this is really cool, we're collecting school supplies for a bunch of students who go to a school nearby who are in need. Like buying school supplies for their family is going to take a big chunk out of their wallet. And so we're going to go, let's get stuff for them. And we're going to fill this joint up next week with school supplies. You won't have ever seen so many pencils. We're going to fill it up because we're going to go bless those people. So please grab this. Stuff. You're grabbing stuff for your kids. Grab some more. Go out of your way to get some of these things and bring them next week. And we're going to bless those people. But you might be going, well, that, that seems really silly. So I'm just going to go, oh, okay, here's a pencil. Well, up. All right, here, here's a marker. What a protractor, I don't even know what it is. There's some colored pencil, great. Or you might be thinking, oh, okay, Jeff, I guess I'm just supposed to like, I don't know, write a note to somebody, encourage them, or you know, bake cookies for a neighbor, go bring them a, a kind bar, a compliment someone, just think about it, a way to compliment, oh yeah. Or, okay, I guess go out of my way and say something really positive to my wife or my husband or uh, spend a little more time with my kids. I can't, I don't know, pray out loud, pray with my kids at night or read them a Bible story. Okay. And you may be thinking about all this stuff and going, oh, yay, look all the, uh, yeah, I'm just doing all this stuff. Just a few little dots here and there. Let me show you a little detail from a painting. Look at all those thousands of dots, thousands of colored dots, dot, 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 dot. This is a detail from a much larger painting. It's seven feet by 10 feet. It's by a painter named Georges Seurat. It's called An Afternoon on the Island of La Grande Jatte. And those are thousands, maybe millions of dots. It's called pointillism. I love that painting because that man did not despise the day of small things, right? Every day he put another dot, another dot, another dot, another dot, until he filled it up and created a masterpiece. You might be thinking, well, what's a little thing, a little thing, a little thing, a little thing? You do enough of these in your life, and you start to create something beautiful. And what we create as we do small kind things for the people around us, for our spouses, for our children, for our coworkers, for strangers is this. We start to live and embody a masterpiece. And that masterpiece communicates to the world God's kind and loving heart. Who despises the day of small things? I hope not us. I hope we would be committed to doing the small things no one wants to die with a blank canvas. Fill it up. Fill it up. Fill it up. And God's goodness, kindness, and love will shine through you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's pray. God, um, oh, first off, I'm so grateful you don't despise the day of small things with me. You do so many small things. I don't have a fat clue about most of them. But boy, you sure are kind to me. And I'm so grateful for that, God. Help us all to be aware of your kindness you show to us in small ways and help us to be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Show us how to make this 
real in our lives. Help us not to love, think, but to love, do, love does, Lord. I bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.